Welcome to Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia. Today's speaker is Dr. Bo Bruce. For this major feast of our church that is so important that it in fact supersedes the usual Sunday theme when it falls on a Sunday. In this case, um, the second Sunday of the season of Easter. This feast is that of the finding of the true cross. If you come from a Protestant background, and I know the majority of us do, I doubt you celebrated this feast when you were growing up, but it tells a remarkable story about something that reveals a tremendous amount about our faith and what we as Orthodox Christians believe folks are missing out on by focusing merely on the relatively abstract and intellectual faith rather than the one that also contains a strong element of incarnational physicality. But first, let me tell you the story that underlies this feast. According to historians, such as Socrates of Constantinople, Empress Helena, the mother of Emperor Constantine, the first Christian emperor of Rome, as you recall, traveled to the Holy Land around 326 to 328, founding churches and establishing relief agencies for the poor. Historians Galeas of Caesarea and Rufinius claimed that she discovered the hiding place of three crosses that were believed to have been used at the crucifixion of Jesus and the two thieves, St. Dismas and Gestas, who were executed with him. To one cross was affixed a titulus bearing Jesus' name, but Helena was not sure until a miracle revealed that this was the true cross. In his life of Constantine, Eusebius describes how the site of the Holy Sepulchre, once a site of veneration for the early church in Jerusalem, had been covered up with earth and a temple of Venus had been built on top of it. Although Eusebius doesn't say this, this probably would have been done as part of Hadrian's reconstruction of Jerusalem as a new pagan city, Alea Capitolina, after the year 130 following the destruction of the formerly Jewish city at the end of the Jewish revolt in the year 70, and in connection with the Bar Kova revolt of 132 to 135. Following his conversion to Christianity, Emperor Constantine ordered that that site be uncovered and instructed Marcarius, the Bishop of Jerusalem, to build a church on the site. So with that context, here is how the story of the finding of the true cross goes. When the empress beheld the place where the Savior suffered, she immediately ordered the idolatrous temple, which had there been erected to be destroyed, and the very earth on which it stood to be removed. When the tomb, which had been so long concealed, was discovered, three crosses were seen buried near the Lord's sepulcher. All held it as certain that one of these crosses was that of our Lord, Jesus Christ, and that the other two were those of the thieves who had been crucified with him. Yet they could not discern to which of the three the body of the Lord had been brought nigh, and which had received the outpouring of his precious blood. But the wise and holy Macarius, the president of the city, resolved this question in the following manner. 
He asked a lady of rank who had been long-suffering with disease to be touched by each of the crosses with earnest prayer, and thus discerned the virtue residing in that of the Savior. For the instance the cross, that cross was brought near the lady, it expelled the sore disease and made her whole. With the cross were also found the holy nails, which Helena took with her back to Constantinople. According to Theodet, she had part of the cross of our Savior conveyed to the palace. The rest was enclosed in a covering of silver and committed to the care of the bishop of the city of Jerusalem, whom she exhorted to preserve it carefully in order that it might be transmitted uninjured to posterity. And indeed, to this day, a relic of the true cross remains at the Church of the Holy Sepulchre in Jerusalem. And fragments of the true cross were broken up and distributed widely and can be venerated in many churches throughout the world. To be sure, many have their doubts about the veracity of these historical accounts and the authenticity of these various relics of the true cross. So I think this is a good time as any for me to talk about our orthodox beliefs about such things. The first objection tends to be around the use of any physical images or objects in our relationship with God. Yet even our gospel passage today mentions a key story about the, how the Hebrews wandering in the desert were healed from snakebite by a bronze serpent. The account is found in Numbers chapter 21. From Mount Hor they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, so that many people in Israel, of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed to the people, for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if the serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. So Jesus is okay with this type of use of a physical object, which to us as Christians should come as no surprise, since God told Moses to do what he did. There are numerous examples in the gospel. Jesus healing the blind man by rubbing, having him rub mud on his eyes. The woman with an issue of blood only needing to touch Jesus' garment to be healed. A man in the Old Testament being raised from the dead by contact with Elisha's bones. And in the New Testament, where various objects were simply touched by the disciples and carried to people who were sick, and even Peter's shadow. Peter's shadow caused miraculous healings. These form a firm biblical basis for our veneration of relics. And we as Orthodox are meaty people. We are physical and incarnational. When we read at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, as you saw, we really do it. We're not Platonists who believe our eternal spirits are imprisoned in this world to be set free and fly around in a happy place after our death. No, our physical actions, our blessing of the material world, our icons, etc., are all sending the strong theological message that physical matter is critical to our faith. 
it matters, pun intended, so much that the Son of God himself became physical. For those of you who read, read my email yesterday, you know we celebrated the Feast of St. Athanasius, who wrote the beautiful treatise on the Incarnation, affirming and explaining that Jesus Christ was both God and man. It's only nine chapters long, and it's well worth a read. It's easy to find online, but I'll plan to try to post a link. In that treatise, he talks about the importance of Jesus both being fully God and fully man. So as Christians, we are called to recognize the importance of physical matter and always be seeking to restore all of creation to its created glory through our actions. With this worldview, conservation, things like recycling, and the right use of our planet are not just a nice thing about future sustainability for our children and grandchildren. They are our ordained duty as part of the priesthood of all believers. Another objection concerns whether some of these objects are real. In the case of the true cross, John Calvin had this to say in his treatise on relics. There is no abbey so poor as not to have a specimen. In some places, there are large fragments, as at the Holy Chapel in Paris, at Pont, uh, Pontiers, and at Rome, there is a good-sized crucifix said to be made of it. In brief, if all the pieces that could be found were collected together, they would make a big shipload. Yet the gospel testifies that a single man was able to carry it. That's nice to say, Calvin, but it turns out it isn't factual. I guess fake news isn't new. For example, in his memoir Sur les Instruments de la Passion of 1870, he made a study of the relics in reference to the criticisms of Calvin and Erasmus. He drew up a catalog of all known relics of the true cross, showing that, in spite of what various authors had claimed, the fragments of the cross brought together again would not reach one-third that of a cross which had been supposed to have been three or four meters in height with transverse branch of two meters wide, proportions not all that abnormal. And he calculated, supposing the cross to have been made of pine wood, based on some of his microscopic analysis of the fragments, which will turn out to not be quite right, uh, he gives it a weight of about 70 kilograms. And so the total known volume of all the relics of the true cross, according to his catalog, accounts for a very minimal amount. Almost 98% of the true cross would therefore be lost, destroyed, or otherwise unaccounted for. Also, uh, I think lending credibility to uh, this miracle, four cross particles uh, of 10 which are surviving with a documentation of their provenance by Byzantine emperors uh, from European churches were microscopically examined and all the pieces came together from olive tree. So it seems there's at least no clear reason to immediately doubt and I think that's where we should land. Now, while I wouldn't venerate an object I knew to be fake, and I wouldn't encourage you to do that either, I need to have faith when I have no evidence to the contrary. We trust others and have belief about all sorts of things in our day-to-day -day life on much shakier evidence than some of that which accompanies this tale. Veneration of relics like the true cross or the garment of a saint do something really important in our faith. They affirm the reality of their existence. And yet our faith in their existence is vital, is critically important. 
We live in a physical world. God created the world and said, it is good. So we must have faith. It was accounted to Abraham as righteousness that he was faithful to God when it so often seemed he had no reason to be. We must be faithful people. That's not so easy in our world that gives us so many reasons for doubt. Remember, as I've said before, that doubts are natural. We all have them. And while we must have faith, we can't only have a mental faith. We also have to have a physical faith. Because we can't just believe, we have to act. We have to reach out and touch, even though we believe change will happen. So to conclude, we need a synergy, a whole greater than its parts, formed among all our intertwined parts as human beings, our mind, our body, our soul, and spirit. We need knowledge, but we also need physical action. We need faith. We need life-giving spirit. They all have to work together for us to be truly human and thereby be everything God created us to be. To become perfect humans, as the God-man Jesus did. So, we need that synergy also with God by co-working with him. He's been co-working with us since he lovingly created us, since he sent his son to become one of us. God is always ready to help us. But, we can only, but he can only do that if we participate. We have to become co-laborers with God. God's been working for and with us since the creation of the world. All he asks of us is a little faith and a little action, so minuscule in relation to his loving faith in us and his actions towards us, especially the one we remember today of sacrificing himself on the cross. And yet we constantly struggle even to find that little energy to undertake those tasks. So let us all renew our resolve with with respect to faith and action. Let us thank God for these important miracles preserved in the scriptures and in the history that followed. And let us use them to build up our spiritual and physical faith and pour both of these into our work as the hands and feet of Jesus, as our loving Lord to those, to ourselves and those around us. And on this day of the finding of the true cross, let us find and search for the true cross in our lives so that we can bear it and follow Jesus. And as I like to quote from one of the monastic rules, let's begin each day at the foot of the cross so that each day we end up one step closer to heaven. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, God is one. Amen. Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia.